Good morning and welcome to Monday morning, July the 17th in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we begin year A, proper week 11, which is the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Monday of the week, I'd like to take a look at the Old Testament passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary in this week of the church's calendar year. And so we find ourselves back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19a. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with this top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up on a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. This is the word of God for us. forget where I heard it first, but uh, there is a sense where uh, at least the, the Jewish way of reading a story like this is to see all the different angles, all the different ways in which light bounces off it. It's like a diadem, these stories are. Um, this is something that um, both Jewish and Christian um, folks, practitioners, have always felt about the scripture is that it's life-giving. Uh, the, the scripture gives us life. And I think for, in order for something to be life-giving, it needs to kind of empower us where we are weak and uh, are feeble and it needs to warn us where we try to go our own way like I think that's maybe a litmus test for something that's life-giving right I think you and I've been there like we've been in both places we've been cowering because we're afraid of something but like a word from somebody or an encouragement or uh, we developed a skill and it made us to stand upright and not to cower uh, in front of thing anymore. But then we've also been going our own way. We got our head down and tunnel vision, myopic, and uh, something spoken to us. Maybe it's a lyric in a song or maybe it's a, a long drive conversation with a friend. And all of a sudden, like our pride begins to erode and we recognize that we need help. And because of that, uh, we're pulled back from a cliff of self-destruction, right? And uh, those things, those those are all life-giving moments. And so sometimes when I go to a really well-known story like this one, I think to myself, okay, you can think about this like in an academic sense, and we need to. I mean, there's so many different and good resources out there. 
that help us get into, okay, what's in the mind of the first audience of this story? Um, why the details? Uh, what's the locations? Um, why is this uh, pertinent for Jacob in his, this part of his own story as he's working out the grappling match that he has with the enemy within, right? And uh, But there's a sense where this story is like a diadem and because of that, like the light bounces off it fresh and new for us today. Uh, the New Testament has two different words uh, for like a time and a season. And like there's like this chronology of time. Then there's like the kairos, like a harvest time, like in a really poignant moment, poignant moment in our lives. It also has uh, a couple different words uh, for truth. It's got like the rhema word of truth and there's the logos word of truth. So there's like the logic. It's like the pipes and the... Uh, the wiring behind the walls is how the house works and there's a sense where logos this idea of the logic of experience and the logic of the world like this is how it works where rhema some in some of the references where rhema is used it's like it's like this word that meets us in a moment where we need it it's like necessary like it's the word that we needed it wasn't we didn't need a generic word we needed like a timely word and this was like a timely word right and so a lot of times i'll go to a story like this i'm like okay what is What's the logic behind this? And that's good. We carry it with us. And it's important for us to keep that in mind because we need to allow the author of Genesis, author of this story, uh, to be able to convey what that message is and to keep it within the story of Genesis. But then I think there's also this, this license to say, okay, with all that in mind too, like how does the light hit the story today? And um, I think this is a, a life-giving story because... It certainly hits a sweet spot or maybe a moderation of how powerful truth is. I mean, you think about it, like someone who's got like a penchant to know the times and the seasons, right? Like in any industry, whether they are a sports agent and they know how to get an athlete the biggest contract possible with the, you know, the most advantageous spot on a team because they've been watching the winds of change. That's, that person can read the room. They can read the time and the season, right? Or someone who can do that in commerce or someone who can read that in real estate or in government. Like they, they possess a lot of power because knowledge is power. That's something that we kind of carry with us and we know that to be true. And that, that power can, um, can be used to benefit oneself and uh, to take advantage of people, right? And so there's a sense where religious truth is necessary for us because we need the saving wisdom that religious truth brings us. But I think we also don't need to get too far ahead of it so that we can't use it for our own gain. We kind of see this as a cautionary tale with Balaam and Balak, right? And, um, well, I'm sure we'll get there some at some point in Old Testament reading. But the Balaam is hired because he's got this penchant to, you know, um, make the heavens do certain things and make the gods or God to do certain things. And so Balak hires him to place a curse upon Israel. All right. So he had to like develop a reputation. You can't just, you know, put a, you put a sign out there and says, Hey, I can uh, make the gods do what you need me to. I mean, they have to, you have to have some sort of a rationale for that. Right. So here's, here's Balaam. Like he's out there and he could do some incredible damage. Uh, but he wasn't uh, aware of what he wasn't aware of. And I think this is a theme that comes up again and again. God certainly wants to mobilize a group of people in his name, eager to do what is good. But he also doesn't want to allow those people um, the opportunity to corrupt the world in his name, right? And so there's a sense where there's like a sweet spot. Like, how can I inform somebody that I want to use and position uh, for my story in the world? But how can I keep them in a place of great humility? Like, not to, uh, to not to humiliate them, right? Not to make them less of themselves or less, like, you know, diminish their identity. 
but how can I um, keep them in a place where they would serve the world so they don't break the world? And I think that's what really where the light hits this story for me today is here's Jacob. Like he's looking for answers and uh, he stumbles into this revelatory place and uh, he's amazed by it, right? He's like, surely uh, the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. And then verse 17 says, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And there's a sense where he wanted to mark this place out again, just in case like he's in a pinch and he can come back to this Bethel, right? This house of God, the gate of heaven and consult with God again. But we, we, we really, you know, there's no, we don't really have any like firm stories of him coming back and having a verbatim theophany like he does here. And so I think this is where Jacob is learning learning the ways of what it means to uh, be a co-regent with God. Jacob's going to take his whole life to learn this lesson, okay? Like, and he kind of started from a pretty difficult place. He was a schemer. He was one who was trying to trick people. He's the, the quintessential trickster from ancient literature. But here he learns an important message. Yes, God will draw close to you. Yes, you can have the curtain drawn back and know something that maybe nobody else in this earth at this time knows. But you're not going to be able to use it as a shortcut to get what you want, right? And so I think that's a proper prayer and a posture for us. This God does want to know us. Um, we see the most vivid revelation of this by giving His Son, like taking on human form and engaging in our temptations and overcoming our own sufferings and dying on behalf of our own sins in order to rescue the world, yes, but also to pave a way of faithfulness. And so we do know those things. And as the Apostle Paul says, we will still know in part and will prophesy in part. There's still a sense where even though we've been lifted by this great love of God, we must learn again the lowly way, the way in which we humble ourselves and say, God, I've learned so much. I'm grateful for that. But teach me something new today. So that's going to be my prayer this morning is that um, I, would, I would learn something new today, that my eyes would be open in some way today. But also because of this story and its life-giving cautionary tale, I wouldn't try to mark the place so that I can't use it as a shortcut. So I want to be, uh, I want to be a student of God. But I don't want to take advantage of what this God might be able to show me. So with those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you today that you can be trusted because you're a God who revealed yourself to us. You're a God of love that pours your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And so, God, this day, we thank you that we find ourselves in the place of Jacob, where we're wondering and searching for answers. And we thank you that on your own time and your own ways, you reveal who you are to us. And so as we approach you today, we open up our ears and open up our minds and our hearts, and we ask God that you would teach us. We pray that as you teach us, that we would find ourselves in the mode of servant, that we would be eager to uh, know your ways and to know the people um, that you called us to serve today. So we thank you that Jesus, you're the servant. You called us to not to be served by others, but to serve others. And so this day, as we give ourselves that governing task, I pray that uh, we would be amazed and that we, we would witness like Jacob did, that we are in the midst of the house of the Lord. So be with us as we do so. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.